Welcome to Hope for the Heart. This is William Rogers, and I'll be preaching on teaching on the book of Revelation. I'm going through, verse by verse, uh, the entire book of Revelation. And what a tremendous, uh, exciting uh, study this is. But it's also a very shocking study, as you're going to see this afternoon on these the subject that's found in chapter 8 of Revelation. So I invite you to open your Bible if you're following along. Uh, if you just want to listen, that's fine as well. But for those who want to follow along, I'm in Revelation chapter 8. And I'm going to read verses 6 through probably 11. And uh, we'll look at a first few of what is called the trumpet judgments as we uh, approach this uh, very shocking uh, subject tonight. Beginning in Revelation chapter 8, verse 6, the Word of God reads, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea had life, died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. As you can tell by just a casual reading of this, this is, would be a shocking time on the earth. And this is a literal time on the earth. This is something that has just been described that is going to be a very real event or a series of events on the earth. So as we approach the events here, just described, all of heaven is silent. Remember last time we talked about silence in heaven, as chapter 8, verse 1 says. There was silence in heaven for about the space of half an hour. What induced that silence was the breaking of the seventh seal. What is the seventh seal? It is here described as the trumpet judgments. And all of the host of heaven gathered around the throne of God to see what is written on the scroll that is unrolled. They are stunned, I believe, into silence. And after a brief period of silence, then the action begins. And so what we're reading today is really that action that has begun. What is described in the final seventh seal encompasses seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments. And it is a, a, a deadly uh, scene, to say the least. And this final deadly vengeance of God that is poured out on the earth in the last time before the reign of Jesus Christ is established and it's described here. These are frightening, terrifying uh, judgments. Uh, it's, it's pretty obvious why heaven is stunned into silence. It's because of the magnitude of this kind of judgments that will be poured out. So as the judgments then begin to unfold, they uh, unfold with the first of the trumpets and the latter uh, bowl judgments. So you have the trumpet judgments and then the bowl judgments, seven of each. And them together make up the unavoidable, unavoidable, inevitable, terrifying wrath of God. 
And so in a very real sense, we are having an opportunity to look into the future at a time that is known as the Great Tribulation Period. Now remember, this is a literal period of earth, and a literal period on earth, and this time is coming. In fact, the more I study prophecy, the more I read the signs of the times, the more I try to keep up with the, the major events in the world shaping uh, so much of what we do and say in the news, uh, the more I see the rapid the rapidness of this is approaching. Uh, all of them together make up this terrible time that will be on the earth, known as the Great Tribulation Period, which I believe all of this is, and I think it's the latter half of the Tribulation Period, which is seven years. So the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years. So in a real sense, this is man's day. And man can sort of do whatever uh, he will within certain limitations. He's in charge. At least he thinks he's in charge. There's also a sense in which Satan is, it's his day. And uh, he thinks he's in charge. Uh, the, us the usurper is given certain liberty within the parameters of God's sovereign tolerance. And between Satan and man, I believe they orchestrate the world and its cosmos or its system but the day of the Lord is coming. And so when we see these activities happening, we need to realize that the day of the Lord is coming when the Lord takes over and will establish His kingdom, the kingdom of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But before the establishing of that kingdom is the destruction and the domain of Satan and men. And so that's what we're beginning to see as it unfolds. Now, the words we've just read take place during what I've said is the tribulation period, a seven-year period after the rapture of the church. In other words, the church has already been called up into heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that there will not be more people saved, as we have seen already. There will be probably one of the greatest revivals this world has ever seen. It doesn't talk about a revival. It just talks about the result of the revival, which is chapter 7, and all the people that will be in heaven gathered around the throne that came out of the great tribulation period as chapter 7 indicated for us. In fact, it was a, a tremendous time. If you have a chance, you can go back and look at that, especially verses 12 through 16 of chapter 7. And it talks about that. So we're going to see uh, the, the fact that the church has already been called out does not mean that no more people will be saved. Uh, the church is caught up into heaven and then God lets loose, loose the wrath and judgment over the whole world. And yes, this is a universal judgment. It affects all the world. Uh, the wrath uh, culminates in this, this time of judgment known as the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the final component of God's wrath. And that is seen uh, as he comes back in the clouds of heaven and then so much. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at all that when it happens. Go back to uh, chapters, if you would, I don't mean literally turn back, but think back with me to chapter 6, verse 12, and it reminds us of the character of the sixth seal, which, by the way, has already taken place. And that character of the sixth seal is a, a glimpse into that day. It is a glimpse into what happens on the earth just before that, that happens in the, uh, the response of the people on the earth, the kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich and strong Every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains, begging God to, to kill them, basically. It says, Follow us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, the interesting thing about that is 
Uh, and I think this is a preview right here, this particular seal, of what's coming on the last part of the Great Tribulation period. But some don't see it like that. They see that this is something that the people on earth see just as the Great Tribulation period begins. Well, I don't know. If it is, that would just be a, another shocking time for them. Because the one thing that we can't really see in this passage or in the book of Revelation is an exact chronology. Uh, we don't see, well, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and when this trumpet is blown, it will last for two months, and then the second trumpet. We don't have that kind of information. And I know that some would say, well, I wish we had more detail. We could wish this, but this is what he's given us. This is enough to excite the heart, to embrace the Lord, so that we escape this. And two, it... it, it, it uh, it causes us to want to share with others, the unbelievers that, that might not know what is coming, to be able to share with them where this world is headed and what is coming to this earth. So we've seen already the church has been taken out. Satan has been running loose. By the time of this trumpet bowl, the trumpets and the bowl judgments, there's been false peace, war, famine, pestilence, plagues, earthquakes. Death has reigned over the earth. All this has already happened. By the time you get to the trumpet judgments. And so by the time you get here, you have to realize Antichrist has already been revealed. He's uh, working his uh, power and dominion over the earth. His reign of terror has begun. He's begun to massacre Jews and Christians. He's terrorizing those who affirm their faith in Christ. He's dominating the world. And by this time, he has successfully deceived the world into following him. And so he is, he thinks... He's fully in charge. And I don't know what people on earth are thinking, but you would have to be thinking the world has gone crazy. God is not here. God is not in charge. God is not in control. And all, all of that would be terrifying for, for people to think. But when we know the truth looking ahead, that God will never be more in control than he will be then. The world is going through the worst imaginable time in human history. And the, the sad thing is, by the time we get to chapter 8, it's as though we could say to the world, but you haven't seen anything yet. Wait till these trumpet judgments and the bold judgments begin to be poured out. So it is a terribly frightening time upon the earth. And you can see the host of heaven at the very first part of chapter 8, verse 1, is their silence. They see that the seventh seal... Uh, has been opened and peeled back, and they see what it is. And so in verse 6, the seven angels who have prepared... Look how it says it in, in chapter 8, verse 6. The seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Now, they know what this is. But again, we don't know what's actually happening here in a lot of the detail. We don't know how long a time period this is. We don't know how long it will be from one trumpet to the next trumpet. Because as you read this, you can read this from, from verse 7 to verse 8, between the first trumpet and the second trumpet, and then the third trumpet and the fourth trumpet. You can read it in just a few, few seconds. But yet that might represent months to them, to the earth people. Uh, the only one given reference to is the fifth trumpet, and we're going to see that in chapter 9, and I'm not going to mention that yet because we're going we're to take a look at that. So we don't really know the duration of time, uh, but we do know that these angels are the ones that are standing, as said, in reference to standing in the presence of God, very elevated angels who love and worship God in Christ, and all of their holy being uh, has been this for 
long time they've probably waited. In fact, we've seen Gabriel is identified as such presence. Perhaps he's one of those, as we have mentioned. So as I read these seven verses to you, uh, these several verses to you, we've, I'm only looking basically at two or three trumpets. I don't know if I'm even going to get through those today. But I'm going to try and see how far I can get. So as I read this, the first few trumpets, the first four trumpets, I want you to listen to these facts. It's just kind of fun facts. The first four trumpets uh, verses takes place in seven verses. But listen to this. The last three trumpets in the verses takes 50 verses. So the first four are related. They are unique and yet related. They are intense, but not as intense as the last three. And God has has chosen to give us, rather to give us as much more detail, detail on the last three judgments, trumpet judgments, than the first four. But when you casually read the first four, this is, this is shocking, but we have to realize uh, they're not to be taken symbolically. They are literal. There's no reason to make symbols out of them. Some people say this is all symbolic of certain things, but there's no reason to take that. We've, we've said from the beginning, when you're studying Revelation, you take it literal unless you're told not to take it literal. And we're going to give you an instance of that. Look at verse 8 of chapter 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire, something like a great mountain. It means it's not a great mountain. It's something like that. And so there we take it to mean it's something like this. It's not this, but something like this. But otherwise, we take it literal. And so all that kind of thing is going to be described later in the book of Revelation. What you have here are literal, physical judgments on the earth. That's a good thing to note before we get into the first trumpet. And the first trumpet is found in verse 7. first trumpet sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Well, one of the first things I think of is all summer I've been working, uh, living with my, my wife and I are living with my son in St. Louis, and uh, I have worked so hard to get that grass green. And so this is kind of frustrating to think that all the grass is going to be burned up, but I won't be here, so I don't have to worry about the grass. But this is what it's talking about. This judgment, the first angel sounds and sounded, and the horn of wrath is blown. And angel number one blows. The other six are waiting their turn, and the judgment triggered is quite interesting. There comes hail and fire. There's a couple of passages in the Old Testament where you see hail associated with judgment. Isaiah 20, uh, 28, 2, Job 38. And God sends hail as a form of judgment. And we shall see it again later in the book of Revelation. In fact, one of the last things the earth sees before the second coming of Christ is related to hell. And of course, fire we know of. Remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the the plains in in Genesis 19, verse 24, I think it is Genesis 19, 24, describes the destruction there as God sent fire out of the sky to destroy them. Here this angel blows, and here we are towards the end of time of tribulation, and out of the sky comes hail and fire. We don't know any more than that fact actually gives us. We don't know necessarily what it is or why it comes or where exactly does it come from or how does it actually happen, but we're supposed to see this 
And it's clear that we read, read this just as exactly as we read it. That's exactly how it's going to happen. We shouldn't be too surprised uh, to read in verse 5 that the angel threw a censer to the earth and it became, uh, came flying through space before it hits the earth, peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning. All speak about hail. And then the flashes of lightning could certainly ignite then this earthquake. And so this is kind of preference. Uh, preference in, in uh, chapter uh, five, chapter eight, verse five, is what's actually happened in chapter eight, verse seven. So the earth has already been experiencing unbearable things. I've already read to you chapter six and and the picture of what what is happening there. Then you read this, and Henry Morris writes this: It is possible that a worldwide volcanic explosions would be a normal consequence of worldwide violent earthquakes. The masses of water vapor blown skyward might well condense in the intense updraft as hailstones and showers of burning lava might well be cast upon the earth. Well, all this is is, is Henry Morris trying to explain how it could happen from a physical point of view from earth. But remember, this is God's judgment. God says it's going to happen like this. We don't know. We can't figure out how it's going to happen or what he's going to use. He might use a volcanic uh, eruption. But we do know it's going to happen. Hail and fire mixed with blood, uh, and they were all thrown to the earth. Uh, Any way you look at that, it's a very frightening, very frightening time. So you look at the result of this. A third of the earth is burned up. The result is going to be a blazing fire that's going to burn one-third of the world. Think about that. Think about how big this planet is. And to say one-third of the world will be burned up? In fact, it says one-third of the earth is burned up. Wow. It's even hard to read this. The result is going to be a blazing fire to burn one-third of the earth. Then a third of the trees will be burned up. The earth's forests are going to be devastated. And the green grass is all burned up. That means no shrubs, no grass, no vegetation. It can mean no crops. The devastation will result in wood for construction. There won't be any building going on. The loss of of so many things. A massive death of animals and crops. Devastating, which will provide food for animals. Which will provide uh, people with food. Food directly used by us. The earth becomes devastated and the globe is scorched. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a time coming upon the earth and I believe it's getting close. And you read this and you think, gosh, that just, I don't, that's amazing to be able to even think about this hitting this planet and how beautiful there are places around it, beautiful spots on this earth. This is a suitable judgment on man because you'll remember in Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen. Man should have been able to Look at this world and the immense, large, huge creation, beautiful creation, and have concluded there is a God and God is all-powerful. 
They should have seen God in the creation, but they did not. And then it says, in Romans, back to Romans chapter 1, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. They professed to be wise but became fools. This is a picture of man. That's right. And here's the issue. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And then verse 25. They worshiped the creature rather than the creator. In other words, they worship what God created instead of worshiping God. Man worships Mother Nature and Earth. We see it today. You've seen so much of it. Save the owl, save the whale, save all this, the tree huggers. They failed to honor God, failed to recognize God, failed to give God thanks, failed to give God place, rejects Him, told God to leave us alone. And what has God done? Left us alone. And we're making a mess of this place. You look at the decisions being made in America alone, and you see stupidity. Uh, you read Romans chapter 1, and, and uh, you know I, I could easily just jump back in Romans and, and get into this judgment. But you read Romans chapter 1, and you see this judgment being uh, pronounced on a, an individual or a nation that abandons God and tells God to leave them alone. And then it says in the third exchange here in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind. And the way you can best translate that is this. God gave them a mind that is incapable of rational thinking. In other words, he took away their common sense. So has God done that for America? Has the abandonment wrath happened here in America? Have we abandoned God in such a way that God has abandoned us? Has God stopped speaking, stopped blessing this nation? Well, I can't answer that definitively, but I know this. Look around. Ask yourself those questions. Decide for yourself, are we giving praise and glory to God or somewhere else? So we are in a dangerous place here. Man is preoccupied with Mother Nature. That's what it's called. It's not called the creation of God. It's called Mother Nature. Environmental atheists, evolutionists, that say God is everything and everything is God. That kind of atheism that says man is no more valuable than a frog or a rat or a rock. Well, let me tell you something. Those people are going to have their day, so God will destroy their false god. Men will have a God out of the earth and animals and even themselves. And God will devastate the earth and its animal population as well as its human population. People worry about the ozone layer. Let me tell you something. God is going to destroy the ozone layer. All that stuff flying around in the sky is going to do a number on the ozone layer. And you talk about global warming, God is going to warm up the globe this is, a, in fact, I, I'm not sure yet how I'm going to title this, but global warming, God is going to turn up the heat on this earth. And I've been saying to you for a long time, if you think we're messing up the planet, if you think we are destroying and emissions and, and this Green New Deal is going to clean up the earth, you think we're making a mess of this, wait till you see what God's going to do. Not only are we messing it up, but when God begins this judgment, the earth will be unrecognizable as a beautiful place anymore. Think about this. Just the first trumpet is sounding, 
and there's hail and fire mixed with blood and is thrown to the earth. A third of the world, uh, the third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees burned up, all the green grass. What do you think the earth's going to look like at that point? So yes, God is going to warm up this earth. Global warming is going to take on a whole new dimension. And can you imagine the seminars and the people trying to get together to figure out what is happening? Are they going to panic and just do away with with uh, fossil fuels and carbons emissions and, and, and go strictly to batteries? And I don't know what they're going to do. And you read the deal, the 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 information on the Green New Deal, you think, oh my goodness, these people are in for a rude awakening as they see what God is going to do to this through these trumpet judgments. Now look, that, that's the first trumpet. Look at the second trumpet. The second trumpet found in verse 8, the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the, third of the creatures which were in the sea had, that had life, died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Well, here we go. Uh, the first trumpet dealt with the land. The second trumpet deals with the sea. Here God judges at another point of his provision for man, the sea. And again, man has not accepted the fact that God created the sea to be a blessing to man. But man has refused to acknowledge God. Remember, at the very core of all this is that not just in America, but mankind across this globe has refused to acknowledge God, refused to thank Him. Man has become a worshiper of that part of the creation as well. And so the Lord is going to destroy that idol and even His own creation, devastated by sin. So the second angel sounds calls forth uh, this number... This this other judgment that's referred to as uh, it's a, something like a great mountain, not a great mountain, but something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Now you don't have to be, you know, the, the smartest person in the room to figure out what that might be. It's, well, it's a meteorite or some asteroid. I think, I think it would be pretty obvious. A piece of a star or a sun that has come out of the sky. Only it's going to be the size of a continent. It's going to be something like a massive mountain crashing to the oceans. And this is what scientists have always feared, that there is going to be a meteorite, uh, an asteroid coming from outer space that we're not going to be able to stop, and it's going to hit us. Well, <clears throat> it's coming. Now, there's no way to know what this is, whether it's actual blood that's here. <clears throat> when it says something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. We don't know what that is. Well, is it blood from all the sea creatures that are in it? Believe? Well, I, I don't know. I just know that uh, you know Joel chapter two says the day of the Lord passes, which shall tells us that the moon becomes dark and the sun is made like blood. The fiery explosions that are going to be the gases around it, uh, but we don't know. And there again, Henry Morris tries to explain this, but you don't have to explain it when it's God's judgment. It's just the Bible says it, and it's going to happen. And then we find a simple statement that the waters of the sea become blood. What that means, I don't know whether it's reflection of the, the gaseous uh, red in the sky or the, whether it's going to be chemical changes. Or, But a third of the creatures in the sea that have life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. The ships, it's going to be... Well, you, you can only imagine uh, something the size of a great mountain falling into the ocean. What's the first thing you think of? Well, the first thing I think of is a tidal wave. 
That's what we used to call them, tidal waves. I guess I just dated myself. Now they call them tsunamis. Uh, a, a tidal wave like the world has never seen and a third of the creatures that were in the sea are going to die. Uh, this is going to bring wreck havoc upon the earth. And no one is going to be able to explain it. This is why Luke chapter in uh, chapter 21 says that the men will have, uh, people will die literally from heart attacks of fear of the things coming upon the earth. And, and we can see this. It's, it's a, it's a poisoning. This freaked out. People are going to be freaked out over uh, the the animals that are dying, the trees that are being burned up. I don't know. I, it's hard to even imagine what they're going to do. But it's going to put stress and cause the people to be distressed. Poisoning of a third of the sea is going to kill a third. Well, what does this do to our our not just the marine life, but what does this do with the the seafood that we eat? Well. You remember now, famine is going to be one of the major characteristical signs during the whole seven-year great tribu- in the, tri- the tribulation period. So food is going to be hard to find. Uh, it's just an, an amazing thing. The mad disruption of commerce that will cause no fishing, no ships, no transport. And it's going to bring havoc upon the earth like we have never seen and I tell you, it, is a, it could be a very frightening time. But again, it's, it's a very real time. It's a time that if you're listening today and have not trusted Christ, it would be, it, it ought to just cause you to want to fall on your knees and beg God to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all of the filth and the trash in our lives. And for the fact that we are not a grateful nation, a thankful nation, we have not acknowledged God. We have told God to leave us alone, and now I fear God has done just exactly that. So this is all, only how far I can get. I can just touch verses 8 and 9, which is the second trumpet. So for now, this is William Rogers with Hope for the Heart, and you've been listening to a study of the book of Revelation. We're in a verse-by-verse study. And, of course, this week we've looked at chapter 8, verses uh, 6 through 9, uh, lightly. We're not covering all the details, but next week we'll look at the the next two trumpet judgments, and we're going to see just how this is going to affect the living conditions upon this earth. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be encouraging one another as we see the times approaching. In fact, as we see the time getting closer to the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, Comfort one another with these words. We don't have to fear this day if we're a true believer in Christ. So I thank you for joining us today and look forward to the next time we will meet.